This is Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, which is part of the Replicate Podcast Network. It is a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. This is part two of a podcast, Voices of Revival, with our guest, Michael Catt, talking about his impact, influence of those who have led him, showed him, and taught him about revival and how he carried that legacy on in his own ministry. If you haven't listened to part one, go back to last week and listen to part one with Michael Catt. And we will and then focus in on what we're going to talk about today as we continue that conversation with one of the fathers of revival. What I know about Ron Dunn, and you could fill in the blanks, but he actually was at a church, MacArthur Boulevard uh, Baptist Church. Right. He had kind of a nominal uh, average ministry. I mean, he was doing well, and uh, but nothing really extraordinary. Goes away to preach a revival. Is this accurate? Yes. You could take it from yeah. here. And, and tell, 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 him, tell us what happened after that, because this changed his whole ministry. Well, he preached that revival, and he was up in Colorado. And, you know, he was calling back to the church every day to kind of tell them what was going on because God was really moving in this revival. And uh, so then he told the church, uh, I think they wrote a letter and told the church, I want you to be back because I'm going to tell you what God's doing. And during that revival, he was preaching. He made a call and God just spoke to him. He said, now, Ron, just step back and watch what I can do. And I forgot how many people were saved that night, but just, you know, not a big church, but like 35, 40, 45 people were saved that night. Mm -hmm. And he went back and he was having some trouble at the church. I mean, there were about six families that were giving him grief, you know, and he was trying Mm -hmm. to start a prayer ministry. And, you know, a lot of things were falling on deaf ears for a guy like him. Um, And he got up and he said, we're, we're through with this. You know, he said, if, if you don't want to go with God, it only takes me 10 cents to mail your church letter somewhere. Seriously. I mean, which is very unusual for him. He would normally yeah. not do something like that. And uh, all but one of those families repented. Wow. And wow. he lived, he lived in basically eight years of perpetual revival. It was wow. still going on when he left. Uh, really? just, yeah. I mean, there was a Whataburger next door uh, to the church, and people would drive into the Whataburger and walk into the church and say, I, I don't know. I just feel like God's calling me to, I, I need to be saved. You know, I need to talk to some, I need to talk to a pastor. I need to do something. And uh, they started a 24 7 prayer ministry that stayed full. Ron started traveling the country, speaking on the deeper life and the abundant life. Uh, He did a conference for Campus Crusade, did three messages out of John 15, and it's still the best-selling set of messages in the history of crew. What? In the history. Wow. More more than anybody, Uh, because it was on the abundant life. It's the 70s, too. We're talking the 60s, 70s back then, right? Yeah, Yeah. it's on the 70s. Wow. So his, obviously, faith was a big, a big uh, theme of his ministry. What, what, what else? What what do you say if you're just thinking about him and his ministry, his preaching? When I, when I hear him and you and I, you've told me this, which is so accurate. It really clarified a lot. We were talking the other day about this. 
you said, I said, I said, I love Manly Beasley and I love Ron Owen's sermons. I listen to both of them and I, I go back and forth that night when I'm sitting with the Lord. But I, I said to you, as far as an expositor of the word, as far as someone who can exegete the word, a master of it. And if you haven't heard Rod Dunn, you need to go to Sermon Index or you need to go to Sherwood. And you need to listen to this man preach. A masterful expositor. Manly Beasley was a masterful preacher, but what made Manly amazing, and you told me this, is not Manly's exegesis, although he was an amazing exegete of the word. It was Manly's experiences. Right. Manly's right. life. Is that right? Say, say what you yes. told me yeah. recently, because this yeah. is so good. I mean, I mean, Manly's sermons were Manly. I mean, it was Manly full of Jesus. I mean, that's what it was. Uh, Manly preached of what God had done in his life. He, it was a testimony of the grace, the powers, the sufficiency of Christ in all the crisis of his life. Ron was, I think, the best expositor of the 20, 20th century. Uh, I think you would find people yeah. in seminaries that would agree with you. I think some of them ought to study his preaching. Yes. Uh, he, was, he was influenced by a man named J.P. Macbeth. And J.P. Macbeth wrote one book on the book of Romans, but he would preach for Ron a lot, but even before he went to MacArthur. And he would go to Ron's house. And, and, and Robbie, it's things that it's the little things that Ron did that after he told me, I went, oh, uh, oh, okay. He said, like JP Macbeth would sit down with his Bible at the dining room table with he and Kay. And he said, All right, let's talk about preaching. Let's open our Bibles and take this passage. And he would say, Now, Ron. Don't move around when you're reading the scripture because you'll distract from the word of God. Mm. Move after you read the scripture. When you want to make your next point, move to the other side of the pulpit because <laughs> people know you're in a transition. And if you watched wow. Ron preach, I mean, he did that, but he wow. took a part a passage. He studied it and studied it and studied it. And he asked J.P. Macbeth one day, he said, how come, <clears throat> because I think this is what fueled him. He said, how come when I hear you preach, it's so much de deeper, has so much more depth than most people I hear. Most people kind of skim the surface. You're going 200 feet down. Yeah. And he said, well, Ron, some people live closer to the truth than other people do. <laughs> wow. Wow. Basically, what he was saying is, I don't study the Bible to get a sermon. I study the Bible to get with God. Cool, man. Wow. You know, I was talking, we were talking to the Beasley brothers uh, just uh, the other day, and, and what we were, what they were saying is, Dad didn't, their dad didn't have the ability to take a text apart. It didn't, one fluent in the Greek and Hebrew. But what dad did is dad had um, an ability to go sit with the Lord in silence in the woods and really just turn a text over and sit with God and ask the Lord, God, what, what, what am I thinking? What are you saying about this text? 
And I just, I just thought about that with preaching. How many guys today, and, I, and I've been there before, and, and, and God's even convicted me, that we become really good parrots of commentaries, really. Right. And, right. and we, become, we just regurgitate what someone else has said, and we don't have a fresh. Now, granted, I'm not saying we don't study the Word of God, and I've gone to school for that, and, and you have too. I'm not saying we don't study the text and sermons and, and commentaries, but what I'm saying is, as Philip Brooks used to say, preaching is truth through personality. So it's right. truth through personality. I think so often many preachers today have truth and no personality because they're preaching someone right. else's personality. Right. That's what made Ron Dunn and Manly Beasley and Vance Havner, I think, so memorable and so impactful. Don't you think they were the greatest version of themselves? Yes. They, they yeah. weren't imitating anybody. They were just them. No. The greatest. No. And I would say that about you, too. I would say that about you. I've heard you preach that. I would say the same thing. You have become, and obviously they've influenced you, you become the best Michael Cat you can be. And for young preachers, I would say that's one of the best pieces of advice you can take. Well, if you remember, I think the stories in the in Ron's biography, when he was ordained, uh, J. Harold Smith ordained him. You know, J. Harold Smith had this famous sermon, God's Three Deadlines, that he yes. preached all over the country. And he was Ron's pastor. Growing up. What? Okay. So Ron Ron grew up in Fort Smith, Arkansas, under hellfire and damnation, you know, preaching, but saw thousands of people saved because of Fort Smith. There were all these soldiers coming through because of the war. And so that church wow. was reaching out to soldiers and doing events and fellowships. And, and then Jay Harrell was just leading them to Christ. Um and Ron got ordained when he's 16. And Jay Harold said, now, Ronnie, he said, God doesn't need another Billy Graham. And Ron said, I was sitting on the front row and thought, hmm, that's my first choice. <laughs> and he said, and Ronnie, God doesn't need another W.A. Criswell. He said, uh, that's my second choice. He said, what God needs is Ronnie Dunn full of Jesus. And Ron said, my first choice was, who wants Ronnie Dunn? Mm. And at his funeral, I said, aren't we glad that Ron Dunn was Ronnie Dunn full of Jesus? Oh, man. Give me a chill. Wow. wow. Unbelievable. Let's talk for a few moments before we're... we're um wrapping up tell, tell us about revival the need for revival and just where we are today because i think as i've said before we we have to desperately need must have spiritual awakening when we have to have it uh we can't plan our way or strategize or elect our way out of this thing what do you think is the greatest hindrance today to revival spiritual awakening what, what do you think just what comes to mind I think the fear of man, I think pastors have the fear of man. I think they're afraid to lose their jobs. Uh, you know, you go into a church and it's got its tradition and it's got the bulletin and you don't change anything. And that's too many churches, not just Southern Baptist churches. Uh, every church, I think tradition has made us fearful of man. And I think it's fearful of letting our hands off and letting God do his work. Uh, we can worship our traditions. You know, we always sing 
this. We always do that. And, you know, the choir is doing the 85th annual singing Christmas tree. And if God said, I am sick of the singing Christmas tree, the choir would go, but we're not God. We love it. We look forward to it. And we have to let our hands off. And we have to be willing that people are going to get mad and not understand. Because flesh responds like flesh. You know, you go back to the remnant. Revival happens among the remnant. And it happens at the pulpit. And it happens with the pastor, I believe, before anybody else. Uh, uh, Jack Taylor said, there are people in the church that may pray more than you pray as the pastor, but a, a church will never rise above the praying done for it. Mm, that's and good. so, you know, individuals in the church. So if the prayer, if, if it's a scale of one to 10 and in the prayer life of a church prayer meeting, what they pray for in connect groups, discipleship groups, everything else is on a two. There may be a 90-year-old woman in the back. Her prayer life's on 140. I mean, because she's a <laughs> praying woman. Yeah. But the church's prayer life will never go so good higher than where it's committed to going. You know, so and good. the pastor sets that tone. You know, when I did refresh conferences, I would say, guys, it's not going to begin on the back row with the guy that reads USA Today every day but doesn't read his Bible. That's not where it's going to start. You know, it's going to start yeah. like Jeremiah Lamphere. It's going to start with one guy. It's got to be you or a layman who gets a burden for revival, and he says, I'm going to meet to pray if nobody else meets to pray. Man. Hey, listen, Havner said this. I was I heard this last night. It's so relevant. <clears throat> Havner said, when you want to start a fire, you don't spend all your time trying to get the big backlog to start on fire. Mm -hmm. You take right. two coals and you blow on them. Right. And he said, you start with a few and the few will start the fire. I thought that was interesting. That's right. That's right. And one of the things he said, of course, I loved, you know, Havner was the king of one-liners. I mean, oh, the yeah. king of one-liners. <laughs> and... uh and, and, you know, one of the things he talked about in revival is, uh, you know, a bulldog, a bulldog can whip a skunk, but it's not worth it. And he said that in the context of sometimes we in our churches are fighting people and fighting battles and we may win, but we're going to stink when it's over, Ooh, you know. Good. And he talked about, he said, some stumps you blow up and some stumps you go around. And he told me, he said, Michael, he said, if someone is resistant to revival, don't argue with them. Go uh -huh. find the people that want it and mm. pour into them. Wow. You know, speak to them, pray with That's them, good. ask them to pray for you. And, you know, I realized I didn't have to fight every battle. Huh. You know, and I didn't have to fight every person that didn't want what God was doing because God's the one that prunes and God's the one that sifts and God's the one that draws people. You know, revi revival advertises itself. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you know, uh, uh, who is the guy who's a preacher up in Canada? Uh, he wrote a book on the book of Judges and. And he talked about a church that was run down, the windows were knocked out, the steeple was falling over, 
but you could still read the sign out front. And the sign out front said, welcome to the powerhouse. And he said, that's most of our churches. They're run down, broken down, falling apart, but we're still advertising that we're the powerhouse. And the world drives <laughs> by and goes, no, and no, you're not. You're not. Who are you fooling? And I, I will hey, tell that's you encouraging. I'll tell you a Bill McLeod story, and I don't know if the Beasleys told you this. They, they told Bill, us about Bill McLeod. First time okay, I ever heard of him. Did Bill McLeod was the leader of the revival in Canada. Okay. And and when Bill McLeod was praying and he was meeting with God, God told Bill McLeod, when your prayer meeting attendance exceeds your Sunday morning attendance, I will send revival to the nation. And it wow. did. Hmm. And and the revival swept through Canada. Wow. You know, that, okay, I'm, it's interesting you said it because that's what I was going to say. What's encouraging about the remnant or the faithful few or the coals is that pastors listening, leaders in churches, you don't have to have many to start. No. In fact, when you when we started our prayer meeting, boy, we, we started, we had a lot of people at, fir at first and it dwindled down and it settled in about half consistently. We lost, lost about half. But those faithful few that came, and it was, I mean, our church, it was a good amount of people, but those faithful few that came, they would charge hell with a water pistol. They were ready to pray all night if you asked them. They would prayer walk the campus. I think it was Wesley said, give me a hundred men who love nothing more than God and hate nothing, uh, love no one more than God and hate nothing more than sin, and I'll turn the world upside down. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's where we are. We don't need a lot. You just need a few no, faithful people. It's, it's always started with a remnant. I mean, every great move of God has started with a remnant. Mm. And then it explodes. You know, then suddenly the fire falls and, and God does something. And it usually starts with one or two. Uh, the Hebrides yeah. revival under Duncan Campbell started with two elderly women praying every night for God to send Duncan Campbell to the Hebrides. Oh, wow. And they didn't know that there were a group of men in a barn over the valley and another, they, they're just a handful of men meeting and praying the same thing. And God moved Duncan Campbell. I, I met a lady who was saved in the Hebrides revival, uh, Mary Peckham. Uh, she was saved and sang with Duncan Campbell in that Hebrides revival in the 50s. Come on. And uh, she, with another group of ladies, and Colin Peckham, her husband, uh, were amazing people. They both died a few years ago. But uh, Colin was, I mean, uh, uh, Duncan Campbell was preaching a revival, and God told him to leave it and take a boat and go to the Hebrides. And he did. And when he got there, there was a man waiting for him. Come on. Are you Duncan Campbell? <laughs> We've been waiting for you. Oh, my God. I mean, who does that but God? You know, there's no cell phone. There's no text message. There's no. There's nothing except God wow. moving on the hearts of people to say it's coming. And I think, Robbie, what's happening right now, I hope this is what's happening. I think we've got showers, uh, mercy drops, but I think that there are showers coming if we don't let 
all these other agendas hijack it. Because, mm. you know, we, we've got so many preachers in silos. You know, I'm in this camp. I'm a part of this network. I'm in this camp. I'm a yes. part of this network. In revival, you don't worry about whether the guy's a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Calvinist or an Arminian. You don't worry about whether he's a pastor or a layman. You have just found somebody that is a kindred spirit, and you go, let's let's pray in agreement. Yeah. Let's, let's pray in agreement. And I yeah. think we can all agree, if we don't have revival, we're sunk. Yes. I mean, well, we're what sunk. Do you what do you say to people? This I just want to hear a quick response in this because people may hear, and I and I and I would have said the same thing to myself. I would said the same thing to me today a couple of years ago because you, you hear things like that. You know, uh, Duncan Campbell had a guy waiting for him. He had two women praying and guys in the barn praying, and he shows up and there is a man. And people hear things like, "Man, I heard from God," or "I saw God work in that way." And I think what the natural tendency is, they say, it doesn't happen in my life that way. So automatically, I don't believe what you're saying is true. And I think that form of cessationism, a form of it, God don't, God won't work this way, or that can't be God. I find this in my own life when I use this. That surely that can't be God. You you basically cut the legs out from God ever working in your life with that disbelief. Wouldn't you agree? Like before it even starts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here's why. Everybody says the day of miracles is over until they need one. <laughs> Hello. And then all of a sudden, would y'all pray for me? I need a miracle. I mean, you know, I'm in my third round of cancer. I'm, I'm not a cessationist. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I, I need, You're proof I need a miracle. I mean, I, I need God to work. And he has worked twice before. Yes. But, you know, I need him to work again. And and I think we argue over semantics and and uh, page turning. And what we do is we hinder the Lord. As long as the work honors Christ, doesn't draw to Because some people work up, try to work up what only God can send down. Oh, that's good. So you know, that. so they're you trying to work it up. You know, they're yeah. trying, they're, they're, they're prompters, you know, they're prompters and, but God's the prompter. We're not the prompters. God's the prompter. We're just the vessel, Yeah, you know, and, and God speak to me. And, and it's like manly, take your Bible and a jug of water out into the woods until you believe what God says. Hmm. And, and and write the promise down. And God, I don't know if this is true for me. I don't know if you're going to do this in my lifetime. But Robbie, there are prayers being prayed right now that are the result of prayers that were prayed generations before us. Mm. And there are moves of God happening right now that are a result of prayers of people that have long, 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 long been in glory but their prayers have not gone unnoticed or unheeded. Man, that's so good. That's so good. All right. One quick, before we close, cause we're, we're getting to the end. Um, yeah. You got to go do the one, cannonball in the uh, pool with the youth. Group. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got the youth group. We're going to do the cannonball. <laughs> I know. 
What uh, one quick story, just an impactful story that you remember from either Havner or Dunn that you can close us with? Something that would be a faith story or just you left and thought, wow, that, that's only the Lord. Anything comes to mind as we close? Um, I think it was that Ron loved me like a son. Uh, we knew each other much more intimately than, than I did Havner. I knew Havner is this much older, you know, he's 72, I'm 19. Uh, Ron was 10 or 15 years older than me, but Ron and Kay said one time to me, uh, Michael, you are what we thought Ronnie would become. Wow. Uh, their son that died. And that was a blessing, but also a responsibility that I didn't want to let one of my heroes down. Uh, I think when people bless you by speaking truth into your life or by speaking encouragement into your life, because I never heard, I never heard anything like that from my parents. And so when somebody blesses you like that, that you look up and you put on, uh, I mean, you put on a pedestal and you think this guy, I mean, just to stand in this guy's shadow, you know, uh, blesses me. And then when Ron died and and Kay called and said, I want you to uh, do the funeral and, and help me organize the funeral. It was the saddest day and the greatest privilege of my life uh, to preach his funeral. And I preached on, I, I took chain to the chariot. Will a man serve God for nothing? Uh, the key to miracles. I took like seven messages that Ron preached. And those were my seven points. I said, here's what oh, Ron done taught us. And I just took, here's the message. Will a man serve God for nothing? Here's a message. Are you chained to the chariot? Are you walking behind the Lord? One of the greatest. You know, and uh, by the way, that he he started that on a napkin. He started God. writing that sermon on a napkin. Let me guess. You have the napkin. You have the napkin of it. No. I, uh, I, do, I do have hey, the you napkin. You have the napkin. I knew you had the napkin. Uh, I, have, I, have all, I have all the handwritten notes of Ron's sermons. And we are scanning those and putting on those on rondun.com. Wow. And uh, uh, I, that's I, what I would say. I'll, I'll send you a blessing. I'll, oh, I'll man, send I'm you ready. a blessing. I'm ready for a blessing, man. <laughs> Golly. Hey, listen, rondun.com is the website. I have started to use it, by the way, even recently of messages I've been preaching on faith. It's been very helpful. Also, if you have not listened to Will a, God, Will a Man Serve God for Nothing? Or change of the chariot, you need to do it right now. You need to go listen right now. Yeah. And when you see Absolutely. Michael or me, you'll thank us. I promise you. That's exactly well, right. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, Michael, I appreciate you being with us today. That's a powerful time. I'm, I'm, I was writing down several one-liners that you were throwing out there because I'm, I'm trying to think, what's the title for this podcast? And we got so many that it's going to take. It's going to be a. Uh, it's going to be a challenge to figure out which one was just that best nugget and. So well, I, know, I can give you a time. I can give you a title for it. I'll I'll take it. What is it? We, okay. We talked to an old guy in the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wisdom from the mountains. <laughs> wisdom from the mountains. Uh, hey, it uh, uh, really is wisdom from the mountain of revival. So Ooh, I appreciate you sharing you that and your stories, your wealth of knowledge. We're praying for you as you walk through where God has you right now. We're so grateful for the, the legacy of what God has done in those men's lives, in your life, and on through as he continues to work um, at Sherwood and, and now as you continue to minister in this stage. Uh, so appreciative of you. Powerful podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast today, do us a favor. Take a moment, text it to a friend, share it with someone who you know might benefit from it. And as always, until next time, bye-bye. Are you struggling with the fatigue of ministry post-COVID? Have you experienced some fruit but hit a plateau in your life or even your church? Could you benefit from a group of like-minded leaders who can help you achieve your God-given potential? Being a church leader is more challenging today than it has ever been and the pandemic hasn't made it any easier to lead. We now have a whole new set of problems to deal with as church leaders that will require new solutions. With this in mind, we developed the Replicate Collective. This is a close-knit group of church leaders who want to help you and your church unleash your God-given potential. Members of the Collective will interact with premier church leaders, men like Will Mancini, David Platt, Pete Scazzaro, and many others. Members of the collective create catalytic clarity for their church and personal lives. They participate in weekly huddles with like-minded church leaders. And you'll get personal coaching from me and the Replicate team. If you're interested in applying to join the collective or simply want to find out more, head over to replicatecollective.com. Replicatecollective.com. We have limited spots, so you want to check it out today. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast. You can receive more free resources to help you make disciples in your home, group, or church by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting our website at replicate.org.